0: One, two, three, four. Hey y'all, this is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and this is my 100th episode of all time. I'm at quite a loss on what to do about it because I really wish I had not done seasons altogether. I wish I had not done it. I've complained about it before. We will see. I don't really know how to jump ship (laughs) because I'm not going to edit that many damn episodes to address the issue. So I don't know. I don't know. You may see this as season three or the end of season two, or it may just show up as episode 100, because that is something to celebrate. I don't know about y'all, but January tried to uh, kill me, (laughs) as usual. January is such a bitch. It really is. I don't hate February as bad, because I just know, you know, that, well, he ain't gonna live long. February is not impervious. To the encroachment of spring and it will let go. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So I guess I don't hate it as bad. It tends to be very rainy down here in the deep south. And so, I mean, everything was sludge. Even last night when my partner and I went outside and honored Bridget, left our candles burning and our gift of milk, and left out my shawl so it could get blessed. And, of course, my shawl was wet today, so I suppose it has been blessed. One of the hardships, I mean, there's so many, but one of the hardships of this time of the year is that the sun, even though it's starting to come back around roughly a minute a day, and, yes, it's a lot nicer than it was in January, you know, it's still on and off cold and just drudgy and mud everywhere, and I miss the sun so much. And so I'm going to go ahead and give myself a break. I don't know how interested y'all are in my farm craft that, you know, I'm always doing. But I didn't want this year to be a failure. I didn't want this year to look anything like last year. And so we've already, well, we've ordered some soil, some OMRI certified soil, which makes it acceptable for me to use as a certified naturally grown farm. I don't know if y'all remember, it's been a very long time since I've discussed it, at least, I think, nine months, maybe more. But I made the horrible decision to till in that high tunnel all those years ago. And I've been paying for it ever since. I don't know if anybody can hear the rain pouring in the background and popping on my tin roof, but that's what's happening. So we did do this horrible thing, and I know... If you're listening to the sound of my voice, you will probably make the same mistake. I mean, I don't think it's that horrifying for your first run. It's not great. Let's be really clear. It's not great. That first run, you're going to have all that living green verdant grass and what other people might call weeds, and you're going to be turning that over into the soil. So... It's going to be okay for about a year. I know some purists that would argue with that, but I could see the argument to till the first time. Not too deep, though. Not too damn deep. I live out here in Alabama. You go too deep, you're dealing with red clay. And I mean, of the purest variety, I could make a bowl out of this, honey. I mean, we do all the time. You bring up a clump really deep from down underneath, You bring up a clump of that and let it lay out in the sun, that thing is never going to fall apart. It just becomes a rock. So, the first time wasn't that bad. The second time, I knew we had done fucked up. So, let's talk briefly about how to create a new bed that is not that hard. It's a little labor intensive, I'm not going to lie. But it's way less uh, expensive and better for the earth, and everyone should try it at least one time. So that's what we're going to talk about today, but I also want to just stop right here and give you a damn good reason to consider no-till farming. But wait a minute, why even go this route? It sounds much harder. Y'all, the main reason to no-till farm, honestly, is you're going to get more productivity. You're also not going to break your back doing it, so there's that. But a farm that's not been tilled, and instead you've done a different process to get things ready to go, the soil will be more resistant to erosion altogether. You're not using fuels as much. Of course, I'm thinking about a larger plot in this situation, acreage really. But most importantly, the microorganisms and the ecology of that soil, they're not going to be disturbed in the same way. You're gonna end up with higher biological activity and more organic matter and earthworms (laughs) and red wigglers and everything that makes that soil already healthy enough to support life. So, y'all, let's talk about how to create just a small place. Start there. What do you think? Well, the first thing you're gonna wanna do is remove any rock out there where you plan to do this. That is larger than like a chicken egg. Okay. So you do want to go ahead and kind of have it plotted out. You can put some stakes in the ground. Find a way to mark it. Remove those rocks. You're going to want to mow. I know we're talking fuel again, but we want to get it kind of low to the ground. So one good time of cutting back any grasses or, you know, weeds. We're going to call them weeds. I don't really believe in weeds and get that kind of low to the ground, and then you're going to add about four inches of organic matter. Just make sure that whatever that matter is doesn't have any herbicides or pesticides in it, okay? So that could be compost or really healthy and organic manure of some kind, but make sure it doesn't have anything in it. Now, this is going to take probably a few months. And that's why I'm bringing it up now. You have time right now to get going. hmm So if you can't afford to build a raised bed and fill that with, you know, soil from another source, this is your window, bat children, of opportunity. So several months from now, what you're going to do is you're going to kind of do a little peek and see how it's going. If there are still a bunch of weeds where you want to grow, if your weeds have not completely, and when I say weeds, I'm saying that in air quotes, if any growing matter <laughs> is not done from you just putting that four inches of compost down on the ground, you're going to want to go ahead and throw down cardboard on that. And after you get your cardboard down, you're going to wet it with a hose, you're going to get it all soggy. And that is going to eventually exhaust anything else that wants to pop up. FYI, y'all, if you wanted to only do the organic compost method and skip the cardboard altogether, you're still going to need a pathway around this beauty that you're creating. And so go ahead and throw cardboard down for those walkways. You want to overlap that, make sure there's no like sunlight that can get through. Now, a lot of folks are going to tell y'all that when this is all broken down and yummy and ready to go, they're going to tell y'all, and you know, maybe they're right, maybe they know something I don't, but they're going to tell you to throw down hardwood chips, and I would beg you not to do that. If you do use hardwood chips, only use them in your pathways and be really sure that those hardwood chips have not been dyed or treated with anything, okay? If you put those directly into your vegetable bed, they are going to still be stealing nitrogen from the ground as they break down. And that is the last thing you need. However, we do still need to talk about mulch because mulch is the secret to no-till gardening. Now, I like to use compost. I just think it just works better for me. I can't use straw because I cannot find an organic straw farmer. I have been able to find organic hay farmers, but that does mean that I'm going to battle some hay seeds. I'm not afraid of that, though. And the reason is a simple reason that hay is a better option, at least for me, and that is that, you know, they don't spray the hay before they feed it to a horse, honey. So it's almost always organic around where I live. And I try to find it whenever possible from a farmer that's let it sit out in a field. However, you're going to battle something. To me, this is a better way to go. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a couple of links in here uh, because this is the way that I've always understood no-till gardening to be. We made the mistake of tilling first. And now what we do is we add on healthy, yummy soil and fully organic matter. And we keep on adding it and adding it and smothering anything like weeds, you know, chickweed, all kinds of things. Smothering that down. And eventually they do give up. It could take you a couple of years, but the weeds will give up. And the best part of it is undisturbed soil like this that's constantly being refed with compost and organic matter and love, (laughs) honestly, back to the earth, it requires way less fertilizer. Mother Earth knows what she's doing. It will become more and more healthy, more rich, more nutrient dense, and you will spend way less money all together. So do consider this, even if it's like a little four by six or even a two by four. Put your little borders up with your cardboard, throw down that four to six inches of organic matter in the middle, and um, you'll be ready to go by the end of March and saving a ridiculous amount of money. Anyhow, um, one last note on those wood chips. I did find a lumber yard and they had all these chips before they uh, dyed anything or treated anything. It's the ones that they give to the schools for play yards and things. And I use that in the pathways over cardboard to keep down any growing matter. But I also inoculated a lot of those hardwood chips with mycelium. So in the border of the border, I have wonderful life as well. And I'll put a little Leak in this particular episode so you'll know how to do that too. Hey y'all, might as well be growing things everywhere and it makes more sense to go this route. All right. Well, what else? You know, at the end of the day, it's really about getting out of the way of Mother Nature. You know, working with her, working with the land as much as possible, but quite honestly, the ground wants to grow shit, y'all. <laughs> it already does. And then we come along and we, you know, bleed it dry of everything it needs. So let's go back over that distinction between farming and gardening. It's a bullshit one. It's one that makes me quite angry. The designation of a farm, so when you could be called that in the United States, is only about how much money you're bringing in. (laughs) We've talked about this before, but in case anyone doesn't remember, it's only about how much money you're bringing in. If you can show $1,000 that you have brought in from your farming efforts, at least the last time I looked, unless they changed it in the last year, if you can show that honey bunny, you can be a farm. Now, they're only going to let you rock a little while without showing exponential growth. You're going to have to show that you started making a little bit more here and there. You know, they give deep discounts for this at the IRS Wally World. And they are trying to assure that you're not a hobby farm. They also, by proxy, are trying to assure that you're not just feeding your family this way. They're not going to help you do that. (laughs) Ah. Ugh. There'll be no tax breaks for you to grow your own food, bat children. Not unless you're also making money off of it. Barter, that whole system, that's completely off the table. I mean, you can do it, but the IRS isn't going to give you anything, and they're not going to consider any expenses that went into it. So, to be a farm in America means to make money from that work. Anything else will be considered a hobby or a garden, even if it's a an acre and a half, two acres, five acres. So you're getting, you know, the reason why it pisses me off. It's the way we think about food. And so big ag gets all of the deep tax credits and little farmers get very few and very little incentive to do the work. So why do it? All right, let's talk about that. This is something very close to my heart. I'm not just blathering to make content. I'm sharing. And it's a big deal. So listen, if you do any kind of a deep dive on what this word means, farming or farm or to farm out, you're going to find that it is indelibly linked to money, to rent out, to create a fixed income for uh, a certain amount of payment due and so I can say the argument for the IRS to say that'll be x amount of dollars thank you very much I also suppose that makes sense if I were growing five six acres of uh, cotton which is just horrible for the land or any other crop, I could see that that was all about making a living by providing a product. And I do that work somewhat. I have a CSA, which is Community Supported Agriculture. I have one that is fully interactive, which means that, you know, some years are worse. They're putting that money in basically with mine. And we're stirring the pot to see what comes out, and then I give them a share. If not a damn thing comes out of it, they get not a damn thing. Of course, I think they can still write that off on their taxes, and I realize I'm being horribly boring right now. Let's pull away from all of that. Regardless of it, there is something else that I do that I have found that I think matters, magically speaking. Oh, well, we've got good new names for all this. Um, homesteading, I think, is the one that comes closest to what I'm doing and so many other wonderful people are doing right now. And a lot of that has to do with self-sustaining and growing more than just your own food, making your own tools, in some cases, your own dyes for clothing, and in some cases, your own clothing. So there's all of that wrapped up into that. However, I fear that we are still not getting to the root of it, if you will, of what I see as magical resistance when it comes to this life. What I'm attempting to do is something past farming. It's something past homesteading, because, you know, that home is still primary, as if... The land and all of its living things that are around that home are only there to support that home. And that is not what I'm talking about. I think I got close one time when I called it cooperative homesteading. But what matters here is understanding that when we start to grow things, when we start to work with the land as much as we can, to not assume a colonizing position. I know, it's... (laughs) antithetical to everything you've ever heard about farming, everything you've ever understood about gardening. I mean, Rudd, you are the one that brings the water. If there is drought, you are the one who prunes and fights the pest and you are doing all of this work. And one of the reasons that that is true is that we're not doing this uh, cooperative methodology. When I first moved out here, I did what anybody would do. I was already as organic as I could be, I thought. (laughs) I thought. And so I ended up out there, you know, just killing myself, trying to grow certain varieties that were definitely going to be food for the Japanese beetles that have taken over around here. Or growing pumpkins that the squash boars just loved. (laughs) And so I rarely got anything off that vine. Getting to where I got to, at least where I am now, meant that I was working with everything. Like companion plants, you know? And trap plants. Bait, basically. I now plant so much eggplant. And I rarely get any. (laughs) But you wouldn't believe how that's going to take the flea beetles away from everything else I've got going on. They're in love with it. And they can have it because I can go buy it at the store. Or, you know, the local farmer stand. I'm trying to grow particular things here that I have to have to live and subsist. And I figured these things out. I figured out that if I grew Seminole pumpkins in Alabama, that there would be way less damage done by any squash bore. They're almost impervious. It's kind of fantastic. I know they're not perfectly round and they're not super orange, but they are pumpkins and they are native. So listening to what the environment wanted, what the habitats were around here already, who I needed to be working with and how, that created such a delicious balance and asked me to do a lot less work overall. And when there was less work, there was a lot more I guess, room for sacred work to happen. And so let me wrap all that up. It turned out for me that just using organic processes was not enough. Not for the path I was on or what I wanted to learn. It just wasn't enough. When I became CNG certified and everything started to be, well, a whole that we had to look at. When we had to consider our neighbors, when we had to consider GMO drift, when we had to consider what we were putting in our laundry detergent, when everything became everything and kind of interlocked that way, everything also became easier to do. I know it it seems antithetical to the whole situation, but I promise y'all it does work like that. We you stop killing the rat snakes, yes, and that was very difficult. I had a particular rat snake I wanted to throttle with my bare hands. If I could have gotten past the screaming I do when I see one. <laughs> I know they're good, they're good, and I do kind of love them until they, you know, try to kill one of my chickens, and that's what happened. I've had a lot of chicken death, actually, from rat snakes. Except that every single one of those moments, y'all, was actually my fault or my partner's fault. It was human error. You know, either we weren't using one quarter inch hardware mesh. And yes, if you want to absolutely protect your chickens, you will. It is a, a cost and you might have to save up for that. Honestly, I wouldn't even get chickens unless I could find a way to get my hands on it. Because a rat snake can flatten itself. I'm telling y'all, you have a one-inch gap somewhere, you would be astounded at what that critter can get through. Anyway, they did horrible damage to our, our babies. And, you know, usually not to a really big chicken, but we had tiny chickens, you know, Bantam. And at one point, young They were only like, I don't know, 12 weeks old, and they were full-size ones, but they were young, and that rat snake will just go in there, and they will suck the head like they're crawfish in their sleep. It's horrible, and then they can't even take the body in when they get to the shoulders, so they'll give up, and it was a death for nothing, but it was my fault. There was a repair I needed to make on that coop, or maybe... The hardware mesh was not all the way around that coop. I mean, there's always some reason that we failed as guardians of our chickens. So When we stopped killing them, by the way, that's why they call them chicken snakes, y'all. They're there for the egg, but they'll take what they can get. When we stopped killing them, the rest of the snake population sort of started to even out. It had gotten kind of crazy over here where we were just dealing with copperheads 24-7, when we started working with the seasons and used our heads a little bit and said, okay, it's spring. We don't need that wood pile right there so close to the house. We're not going to be using it for fire. Let's move it way off to the boundaries of, I hate to call it property, but you know what I mean. And all of a sudden, we didn't have a bunch of copperheads sleeping underneath (laughs) right next to our house, and we weren't fighting them anymore. They could be off in the woods. We didn't have to deal. And just so y'all know on the copperhead issue, just right quick, I'm not saying that something horrible can't happen. I am saying, and I will always say that I learned a long time ago that copperheads don't want to mess with you. They really don't. And while they're more likely to bite than a lot of others, most of those bites are dry bites. So they're just basically warning you to back up, leave them alone. I have accidentally petted one. I'm not kidding. I didn't have my glasses on and I thought it was a rock. And I was, (laughs) I know, I know. And y'all, I was trying to move around garden stones and I pulled back something big and I went to move this one and it didn't move on me at all. I had my whole hand on it and it didn't move. It was, you know, curled up, looked like a stone without my glasses <laughs> and it didn't feel right. And I kind of slowly pulled my hand away and then dropped my glasses that were on top of my head down and backed up real slow. <laughs> yeah. I kind of loved on a baby copperhead, and they are more dangerous. Baby copperheads don't know not to spend all of their venom. So, you could actually get more hurt by a baby than you could a a full grown one. That was one case. And then I think I've told y'all, I was busy weeding one of my raised bed situations a long time ago. And y'all, we no longer, I know it sounds so cool, but I live in Alabama. We no longer use wooden logs for our borders. We cannot afford that kind of risk around here because they love to go underneath and then they scare the living shit out of you. And I was laying down on my hands and knees uh, once again, (laughs) once again, glasses up on top of my head. And I was just weeding, and it was the strawberries that I was trying to get freed up from any kind of weeds that had been there over winter. And it had been a beautiful, warm day. And I was all the way up against that border when I felt something tickle my nose. Mm hmm. A copperhead kissed my nose. Or more likely, that's how they smell. So I got smelled real close and personal without my consent. And I still didn't get bit. So, um,. Bless them, I, I reckon they do belong here too. I just think for the safety of my animals and my sanity, they need to be kind of over in the woodland. And they would prefer to be over in the woodland. So I don't need piles of wood in the center of my living, if you will, space out here. Anyway, when I stopped interfering with a lot of things, meaning wood pile in the middle of the yard or killing all the rat snakes. I mean, y'all, they're just going to come back. They're, I mean, they've got babies. They've got sisters, brothers, mothers, daddies. They're going to be right back. And instead kind of secured my situation a little bit better until I stopped killing all the damn spiders and until I started doing the work of extracting Non native invasive species that needed to be pulled out of here. Like Kudzu, it may be beautiful, honey, but it is the vine that ate the South and it's uh, destructive. So until I started working with the land a lot and stopped seeing myself as a, you know, queen, <laughs> queen of this place, I was lucky to be here. Until I kind of got my act in line my ego under control when it came to um growing things and stewarding that process i knew nothing i knew nothing it has been one hell of a ride and i really wish we could change the word farmer i'm still studying on whether or not we can because it has always been linked with capitalism and y'all know how i feel about that so um I'll I'll be still looking at that word, but I can always reappropriate it and make it something that makes sense to me. Alright, well there's enough of that. Before the full moon hit, y'all, I planted all of my Totsuy and y'all gotta check out Totsoy and Asian greens and one of the raised beds inside the high tunnel. And uh You know, I was listening to something Byron Ballard put on her page the other day, and she was warning everybody to not do things that are going to be, you know, the fruit of that plant, whatever that might mean, greens, whatever, to not do those kinds of plantings on a waning moon. And uh, not very many people do gardening by the moon like I do and like Byron does. But I had done so about a week ahead, and they're all pulled up beautiful and doing great. And even if we get a freeze, I've got well, it's like a Agra frost cloth. And it's not expensive. Y'all can look that up on Amazon. I've had the same damn cloth for about five years. As long as y'all pull that up and dry that out, it'll go year after year. And this week, my onion starts are coming in. I keep meeting to try to do them from seed, but until I retire from my other four or five jobs, I'm still going with this, this wonderful company down in Texas. So those are going in because now we're on a waning moon. And the waters and the energy are pulling down deep into the earth. And it's going to make those bulbs really expand. So we're excited. And there's not that much longer before I have to worry about starting seeds in our nursery. And that's always a lot of hubba Alabama is a push-pull situation in the spring. (laughs) We can have an 85-degree day, and two days later it can be, you know, 28 at night. So it's not over to the fat lady sings, and she's got a lot of cornbread to eat before that day. Anyway, I'm still trying to encourage y'all to consider to work with plants. It is a fantastic and semiotic relationship. You know, on the very first level that I teach in our coven, there's this, there's seed, there's growing something, usually about five, you know, at least on the very bare minimum, herbs or something, flowers, or even vegetables, if you have the space to do so. And that's because there's nothing more magical. Even though it may seem simple, just the process of getting close to our food It is the most healing thing in the world. I know folks who have city gardens. Shout out to my friend Jess. Uh, And I do mean, you know, right there in the heart of the city with a tiny little raised plot outside that does wonderful things. And I know folks who grow things in windows. And while you might not be able to pull off a tomato baby, you can definitely do something sweet and simple. Why, you could have time, you could even do mint, all kinds of wonderful things. It is the connection that we're missing, that I believe is missing in a lot of magical processes. And the quickest way to get back to, um, her, Mother Earth, Big Mama, Goddess Incarnate. And honestly, if you cannot do it, if you simply don't have the time or you don't have the space, that's understandable. Do consider a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. Look around. See if there's anything like that close to you. Because most CSAs will let you come. I mean, they should let you come visit the land. I, If they want to, doesn't happen a lot, but if they want to, I allow mine to come out here and let me seed things or harvest things. Um, to check out that crop that they're supporting. And that can also, you know, get that connection you need while helping a farmer. So look into that. See what they have to offer. And community gardening is just wonderful. Uh, we were in the middle of coven meat last night. I hunted Brigid by myself several days ago. And I think everyone in my coven did on their own time and their own space. And last night, we just sort of celebrated her. But it came up that we're all sad I'm not growing corn anymore. And I used to grow both white eagle corn, which makes a wonderful blue masa and tortilla, and uh, also a Cherokee um, strain of popcorn, specifically grown for that use. And And we're thinking how sad that was because I just don't have enough space. Corn takes a lot of space and it needs to be rotated because it also really pulls the nitrogen out of the ground. And I don't have that kind of space. I'm a micro farmer. I did try to do it one year, but it was just so sad. We got the corn and we got hardly anything else. That's not sustainable. But on the way out the door, my auditor suggested a coven community garden. That's a fantastic idea. And I'm going to look into that probably in the next week because that means, you know, I've got the knowledge on how to grow it and I need help. I can't do it alone, especially if it's not right here. And y'all know how I hate to leave the house. So. <laughs> but, you know, we can all go in, we can all share the duties, and then we can all sit around a beautiful, Sow in fire and push those gorgeous kernels off a dried ear of corn, and I think that's a brilliant way to get them involved in growing things, especially if it leads to a harvest that they will always remember and be connected to. So, I know about once a year I'll come on here and I'll beg y'all to grow something. I get that it's exhausting, but I've never, and I promise you this, had a better therapist. And I'm a person who's all about therapy, but I've never had a better one than my hands in the dirt, watching something spring forth life, become food, and getting to know the pollinators and understanding the seasons and then relishing in that harvest. I've never had a better therapist than, uh, well, Gaia. (laughs) So give it a shot. There are worse things to spend y'all money on, honey, and your time than building a little raised bed outside your door. I think that's a way better idea than maybe buying a new pocketbook or spending money to go out to eat. Now, that's just my vote. And this is the last time I'm going to beg y'all this year to grow your own food. All right. I want to give a big warm shout-out to Julie, Janie, and Christy. I think I already thanked you, Paul. I'm not sure. Thank y'all. And we're doing something new over there. I don't want y'all to get too excited because I feel like I'm lame. (laughs) I'm now videotaping me cooking stuff. And I have every intention, y'all, to also be sharing new videos of my gardening or farming or homesteading. What the fuck are we going to call that? I don't know. However, I'm going to be videotaping that. I don't think it's called videotaping anymore. I think I just dated myself. (laughs) So sorry. Moving on, Gen X. Come on, we can do this. Not that great at doing this yet, but I'm learning. And I intend on continuing. That's where it's all going to be is on Patreon. So if you want to support the podcast, I will be ever grateful. And just head over to Patreon and look up Southern Fried Witch. And I'll put the link in the show notes. Otherwise, y'all, my poor partner has COVID. And he has been staying in the camper the last three nights. Trying to keep me from getting it. Little tin can camper from 1966. And I think I'm fighting it off. Not testing positive anyway, but that doesn't mean much if your immune system is a certain kind of way. Sometimes I think I just have alien blood, y'all. I know I got witch blood. Anyway, y'all, I love you. Grow something, and then I'll stop nudging you. Love you like chicken. Blessed be y'all. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.